0: going to give you guys a second, go ahead, open there, and then we'll open in a word of prayer, and then we're going to just get cooking. So try to stick with me as you can, all right? Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you just thanking you so much for who you are. Lord, I thank you for sending your Son down to earth so that we could live in freedom, so that we could live with hope, and so that we could form our lives in a way through the study of your word and, and interacting with your, your church, Lord, that we could just love and serve such a wonderful and awesome God. Lord, I pray that you'd just give me wisdom this morning, uh, allow me to communicate clearly, and and Lord, prepare all of our hearts to just hear the truth of your word. In your name, Amen. All right, so again, it is John chapter 8. Verses twelve through thirty-eight. I'll give you guys a second to turn there, and then I'm just going to go ahead and start reading, all right? Again Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisee said to him, Who are you bearing witness about yourself? Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered them, Even if I do, "...bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from, and I know where I am going. But you do not know where I come from, or where I am going. You judge me according to the flesh, I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. Your law, it is, or In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true." I am one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me also. They said to him, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them, I'm going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said to him, will he kill himself? Since he says where I am going, you cannot come. He said to them, you are from below and I am from above. You are of this world and I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you. From the beginning, I have much to say about you and much to judge. But he who sent me is true. And I declared the world that I have heard from him. They did not understand what he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. And that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I, I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And he was saying these things, and many believed. We're in verse 31. So Jesus said to him, or so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are the offspring of Abraham, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. A slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, uh, yet you seek to kill me because the word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen of my with my Father, and you do what you have heard from your Father. So like I said, there's a little bit of information to cover in this passage. Before we get into it, I want to just give you a little bit of context. So last week, JT, he preached on uh, the woman caught in adultery, Pharisees, um, and how that isn't seen in all the manuscripts and everything like that. But here, this is Jesus resuming his teaching. So he's back at the temple and he's getting back into what he had been preaching this whole time. He's also preaching during the Feast of the Tabernacles. Now, because I'm not Jewish, I don't know what that is, right? So I did a little bit of research. The Feast of the Tabernacles was a time of celebration that the Jews would hold and During this time, the the purpose and the intention of the celebration was to celebrate that God led them through the desert by a pillar of fire through the night during their exodus from Egypt. So it's a celebration that God was their light, that he led them to their freedom. So having that little bit of context, it it gives you a little bit of uh, understanding or reasoning why the Pharisees were like, whoa, dude. You're claiming, I am the light? Like, are you kidding me? The light is God. You're you're saying, I am God, and Jesus is like, yes, I know. Yep, that's exactly what I'm trying to say. Okay, so just wanted to give you a little bit of context so that you could understand maybe a little bit more where, where these attitudes came from from the religious leaders. Um, in this passage, we see that the Pharisees attack three things. Or they actually interrupt him and question Jesus three times in this, this dialogue that's recorded. But what we have in this passage right now, there's the first three questions that they uh, inquire about him. And in these three questions, they try to discredit Jesus by asking him three questions targeting three specific things about him one, his witness, two, his identity. And three, his eternal position. And by identity, I mean like his uh, legitimacy, or uh, like it, or I'm drawing a blank on the word who, who his parents were. Okay, so right off the bat, we see uh, the Pharisees accuse Jesus. You bear, you bear witness to yourself. Your witness is not true. Jesus proclaimed that he was the light of the world, but the Pharisees could not see it. And so they go in saying, your your witness isn't true. You, You can't claim these things about yourself. Because according to Jewish law, they had to have two. You had to have two people for someone's witness to be true. And so here, it's like, you're just saying this about yourself. And Jesus is like, yes, but my father also bears witness to me. He's the one who sent me. I'm just saying his words. And so here in this dialogue... One or we'll we'll get right to that, but one thing that I I do wanna say, like Jesus is proclaiming that he's the light of the world. The Pharisees couldn't see it. Why couldn't they see it? Was it because Jesus' light hadn't shined? No. What it was is because the Pharisees were blind. I can see. I've got not great vision, but I've got vision. When I woke up this morning, I could tell it was daytime. I knew that the sun had come up, even though there was clouds in the sky, I could see that there was sun. Now, if a blind man came up to me and said, Dude, it's still dark out, it's not daytime yet, I'd be like, No, that's not true. And he'd be like, Well, it's still dark. Yeah, but I can see the day. And that's essentially what's happening here. The Pharisees are going up to Jesus saying, You're not the light. They're, they're arguing against the fact that Jesus' light had established itself. And right off the get go, we see Jesus not engage in their debate or their argument or their philosophical thinking. What we see Jesus do is instantly go to his eternal position. He instantly goes to the fact that, no, I've been sent by the Father and my Father bears witness to me. Therefore, my my witness is true. As we just continue, even if I bear witness to myself, my witness is true. When the Pharisees realize that they don't actually have the ability to disprove that Jesus' light is shining, they change the argument. Because, again, their whole intention is to just disprove the ministry of Jesus, disprove disprove the person of Jesus Christ as being the God-man. And we see Jesus, he says, even if I bear witness, my witness is true, and uh in that statement, we see that Jesus, under normal circumstances, would say, yeah, you need to have two people like to, to go off of. You, you have to have someone else also reiterating the same truth for it to be true. So Jesus, under, under normal circumstances, uh, would, would agree with the Jewish law in this sense. In this sense, but Jesus pointed out that he was qualified to give testimony to himself. Why? Because of the Father, because He knows He knows where He's from and where He is going. Jesus can testify about Himself and not they, or Jesus can can judge and testify about Himself because He and not they is righteous and it can can judge appropriately because he has a view of eternity. He calls the Pharisees out. He says, you judge according to the flesh and I judge no one. They have constituted themselves as his judges and decided against him because they were judging according to the flesh, uh, judging just to even the simple fact that, well, you're from Galilee, not Nazareth, because that's what they decided to, to believe. Jesus can testify about himself because his testimony was fully supported by God the Father. And he states that when he says, My judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I am with the Father who sent me. So now that he's clarified the fact that his witness is true, that they have nothing to, like, they, they can't combat him, in that they can't debate him in that he's he's proven that to be true he's argued that to be true they change their question okay and you you can almost they, they ask the question who is your father and you can almost see them like nudging each other like check this one out watch how he reacts to this the fact that we know that he had an immaculate conception or that he was born from an immaculate conception watch how he reacts to this and so they do this, they ask him this question, and they're implying that Jesus was conceived from an impure relation with a man in comparison to an immaculate conception. Again, like I said, they attack his identity, his, like the fact that he was born from God. And you see Jesus again respond from his eternal position and perspective. He calls him out again he says, you neither know me nor my father and where I go you cannot come. Now that might sound a little bit harsh but Jesus being God man also knew that these Pharisees are walking in the sin of unbelief. They're, they're intentionally choosing to not see Jesus for who he is. And he has lots of things that he can judge them on, lots of things that he can condemn them on. But what he's getting at is the very fact that they couldn't follow him because they were choosing to walk in disobedience. They were not choosing to see Christ for who he was. And because of that, they were not gonna be spending eternity with him. He knew he was going to glory. He knew he was going to be seated at the right hand of God. And he knew that they were not gonna be a part of his children, and so he calls them out on that. Pharisees still whew, didn't even see it. Instead, they attack him again. Will he kill himself? Now that just seems like a third grade like bash, right? But the Pharisees, in saying this, That's like the slight of slights because in their culture, what they taught the people listening to them, what they were teaching, what they were proclaiming was that the seventh level of hell, the pit of Hades was reserved for those who committed suicide. So again, trying to discredit Jesus because, well, if he's going to kill himself, he's going to the lowest lows in hell. So for anybody listening to this argument, he just said where I'm going you cannot come probably because he's going to go kill himself because he can't handle it because he knows he's a fraud. And just so everybody knows listening to us, that means he's going to the bottom pits of Hades. Again, intention to discredit. We see Jesus go, okay. (laughs) Again, Hearing, hearing their slam, hearing their, their intentional degrading of the ministry of Christ, the intentional rebellion and resistance to the person of Jesus Christ. And we see him just, I want to say gently because that's the word that comes to mind because I know my reaction would be To engage in the debate, but the reality is, it's truth and love, and it's still really stinking blunt. He says to them, "You are beneath me. I am. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do do not believe that I am He, you will die in your sins." He says, you are beneath and I am above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. The Pharisees opposing Jesus implied that he would go to hell as because of his suicide that they were implying. Jesus answered that they did have different destinies. Just not as they thought. These Pharisees, I mean, if we remember, they, they had the outward look that they had deep intimacy with the Father. When people looked at them, they said, that guy knows God. They were for sure that they were going to end up probably being at the right hand of Jesus around the table like the disciples were arguing. It's like, oh, well, all the Pharisees, and then whoever sits closest to the Pharisees. That's how they were thinking in their head. We've got this down pat. And we see Jesus just call them out in their unbelief. These religious men, these religious leaders, lived in darkness and filled their minds. uh, They had a darkness that filled their minds and their deeds. The darkness that clouded their, their blindness remained because they rejected the light that was showing. Even though he continually proclaimed who he was. We see Jesus give them a serious warning that the day of grace was not going to last forever for them at one point they were going to die and they were going to be judged and judged correctly by Jesus and that during their death that sinful darkness would now be made permanent If you do not believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. Jesus called them to believe that He is the, the I Am. When He says I am He, He's claiming the title of I Am. Not only was He claiming it by by saying I I am the light, but He was also saying. Like, if that wasn't clear enough, what I'm saying is, I am. And we've talked about that as a church, the The depth of that statement alone, what that would mean to the Israelites, that he is the great I am. Jesus was claiming his deity. And if the Pharisees chose to believe, they would be saved from dying in their sins but they must believe that jesus is who he says he is that he is god the son so continuing on then they said to him who are you and jesus said to them just what i have been saying to you from the beginning i have many things to say and to judge concerning you but he who sent me is true and I speak to the world those things which I have heard from him. They did not understand that he spoke to them of the Father. The Pharisees actually ask a pretty good question here. Who are you? Granted, it was from an attitude of disbelief and malicious intent, but it's actually a fairly real question. Who are you? Though Jesus told them again and again who he was, they continued to ask, hoping that they could catch him in a different, different answer. They hoped to, they hoped to tra- trap him up and then be able to condemn him. But we see Jesus again answering from a place of eternal perspective and eternal security I am the Son of God. This is who I am. This is who I've been saying I am. You guys just aren't believing who I'm declaring myself to be. We see the Pharisees in their questions, they were asking questions not to discover truth, but they were asking questions to justify their own refusal of belief. Where is your father? because you're not who you say you are. We know your father's Joseph. Will he kill himself? Just trying to slam him in his ministry. You're You're going to hell. Who are you? It's not actually asking if you're the son of God, it's trying to trip him up. And again, we see Jesus say, just what I have been saying to you from the beginning Jesus didn't have any new answers for them. He'd repeat the truths and the themes that he spoke many times before them or to them many times before. I have many things to say we're just going to work through that those verses there because there's quite a bit there. I have many things to say and judge concerning you what he's saying there is I could readily expose all of your iniquities and pride your, your prideful ambition your hypocrisy your irreligion your hatred of the light and your malice against the truth together with the present obstinate unbelief in your hearts These are all valid reasons for me to say you will die in your sin. I speak to the world those things which I have heard from him or from the Father. Jesus again emphasizes this point. It's not about what I can prove to discredit you. What I am here to do is show that I am the Son of God. So Jesus, again, emphasizes this point. I'm speaking the words, and the words were from God the Father. Therefore, if the Pharisees were opposing the person of Jesus Christ, they were in turn opposing the Father, the one who they claimed to love. Moving on. Then Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. And that I do nothing of myself, but as the Father taught me, I speak these things. And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do the things that please him. And as he spoke these words, many believed. When he lift up the Son of Man, <clears throat> he's talking about two things. One, exalting the person of Jesus Christ as the authority in your life as your Savior. But he's also talking about the physical raising up of Jesus Christ on the cross. When you raise me up, you will recognize that I am He. Christ wasn't trying to get Himself an applause or to become a celebrity. Instead, it had to do with humbly submitting Himself to the, to the authority of the Father and walking obediently in that. When Christ was crucified, it was in perfect obedience with the Father. And he states that here, I do nothing of myself. At that moment when Christ was lifted up on the cross, not only was it a vindication that he was and is the Son of God, but it also totally destroyed all of the Pharisees' arguments against him, all of the allegations against him. Christ continues, he says, The Father has not left me alone. The unity between the Father and Son will continue, despite the accusations of the Pharisees. Jesus was in perfect unity with the Father. He also states, I always do the things that please him. Man, I wish I could make a statement like that. Now, now we, see, we see here, he says, you know, I always do the things that please him. He's standing in the temple, at the treasury. At that, at that point, they would have had the ability to accuse him if there was something that they could have actually accused him on. But just like last week when JT preached, the woman caught in adultery he's like well fine the, the, the one without th- sin cast the first stone they all eventually walk away the older ones first going yeah that's not me peaced out and then you got the young zealous guys going well really trying to evaluate if they can justify areas of sin in their life and then eventually walk away Here's the same exact scenario. Jesus says, I always do the things that please the Father. And everyone keeps dead silent. As he spoke these words, many believed in him. When the Pharisees heard Jesus speak... They became more opposed to him, yet there were many who heard the same words and believed in him. They believed despite the evident opposition of the, the religious leaders. Jesus' message of unity with his father was so well received by some because of his life, or because his life was consistent with his message. Unlike the Pharisees, one could see that Jesus was close to God. Like I was saying earlier, the Pharisees had cultivated an image of being intimate with God, but it was evident that they were not actually close. Into verse 31 now. Then Jesus said to them, those who believed, or then Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. If you abide in my word, you are indeed my disciples. Does the phrase, the word, remind you of anything? Like John 1.1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God? What is Christ calling them here? If, If you abide in my word, If you abide in me, you truly will, you you will truly be my disciples. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. This is a result of abiding in the word of Jesus. We prove ourselves to be his disciples, and we know the truth, and uh, and God works his freedom in our life through his truth. The freedom of Jesus spoke of, doesn't come from uh, academic pursuits of truth in general, but from abiding in the word of God and being his disciple. Continuing on, they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants, and we have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if a son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Even the people who are believing in him didn't fully understand what Christ was proclaiming here. They're like, well, look, we're descendants of Abraham. We've never been slaves to anybody since the Exodus. Like, we've been good. The reaction of the, of the people wasn't, this is wonderful news, tell us more. Instead, it was a reaction of, we're good, we don't need this. So Christ takes it a, a level deeper. Whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but the son abides forever. Slavery to sin is the worst kind of slavery because there is no escape from it by ourself. We must be set free by the Son of God, by the, by the Son, someone who abides in the household of God. If a Son makes you free, then you shall be free indeed. If we are set free from our slavery to sin, set free by the Son, and set free by abiding in Jesus and being his disciple, then we are free indeed. And we have true freedom, which contrasts the freedom of the Pharisees that the Pharisees blindly claimed. If the son makes you free, being a slave to sin, it's not something that a a slave can do to change his status. I can't just proclaim, I will sin no more. That doesn't work. I need somebody to do that work for me. And what Christ is claiming right here is that he is that person to set us free. The point is clear. Freedom does not consist of the word freedom in our words, but in the relationship to the person of Jesus Christ. Through abiding in his word, and being his disciple. We see Christ continue on. He goes, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I, see, I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen your, with your father. We, we see him say, I know you, you are the, the genetical descendants of Abraham. But Abraham was not their father in the spiritual sense. If if you remember when we talked about Abraham, how he responded to the messengers from heaven, he welcomed them into his home. Which, for analogy, welcoming Christ into our heart, right? But here we see the one sent from heaven they've rejected and they're seeking to kill. Then we see Jesus say, because my word has no place in you. Their rejection was not only of the word of Jesus. It wasn't only of what he was proclaiming. But it was also of Jesus the word. By the rejection of Jesus, being the Word of God, that had come to earth, being the Son of God, to set man free, they had proved that they were not like Abraham, and that they did not have freedom that comes from abiding in Jesus the Word. So, that was a very quick overview of that chapter or that section of verses. Church, the reality is I have given you my rough outline. I would encourage you to go home and study it and study it in your life groups because there is so much there that we just don't have time this morning to be talking about. But there are a couple takeaways that I want to talk about this morning. One, I want to talk about the Word. And I want you guys to think about it not only in just studying the Word of God. One, that's pivotal for the life of of a believer, to study the Word of God. Because in the Word of God, He reveals Himself to us and He reveals things in us that we either need to grow in or that we can be encouraged in. This is the transforming work of of God when it comes to the daily outworking of it, studying his word and being engaged in an intentional relationship with a living God. Spurgeon wrote, there are several ways to consider God's word, or there are several ways that God's word should have a place in the heart of the believer. The word of God ought to have an inward place. The word of God ought to have a place of high honor. The word of God ought to have a place of trust. The word of God ought to have a place of rule or authority. The word of God ought to have a place of love. And the word of God ought to have a permanent place. Now, church, that was written by Spurgeon, so I can't really say it much better. But the reality is, how beautiful is that? And how true is that? as we walk through our daily lives, this is what helps us walk. This teaches us about the person of Jesus Christ, what he's done on our behalf, and the position that we have as his children. Allowing God to make his home in your heart so that you can walk with the hope and the freedom that comes in The person of Jesus Christ and Him alone. I know sometimes it seems boring, but it is never going to prove void. So study, engage, talk with it about one another. We've titled this series To Know and Believe. Because not only has the light established itself through the world, even just in simple things like creation. I'm a, I wig out when I see a giant storm. It just reminds me of how small I am and how big God is. But the word has been sent. The person of Jesus Christ, the God-man came down, lived a perfect life for the very purpose of reconciling mankind to right relationship with him. It's all about Jesus Christ, and he has given us his word, and we have the ability to study and grow in our knowledge and understanding of who Christ is and what he has done on our behalf. And for those who are in him, Growing in the knowledge and understanding of who Christ is and what he's done on our behalf, there's incredible freedom. Like I said earlier, the Pharisees actually asked a good question, who are you? Granted, I would say the heart needs to be a little bit different, like a lot bit different. When you ask that question as you're engaging in God's word and in his body. I think we should all ask our question ask ourselves this question as we abide in him asking him that he reveal himself more to us more of who he is through his word and that we may grow in our knowledge and understanding of him and walk in a manner worthy of his name secured in his grace and love This is a freedom church that It's a tragedy if a believer doesn't understand what Christ has done on their behalf. There's no money that can buy it, there's no status that can obtain it, there's no work that can earn it, and there's nothing that can match it. Church, the good news of the gospel Jesus Christ came. He lived a perfect life. He dealt with all of the accusations and rejection of man. He died a criminal's death on a cross for the very purpose of you understanding the freedom that you have positionally as a son of God or a daughter of God, as a child of God. It, it's not about the things you do or how well you do them or how bad you are and how bad people think you are. It's about abiding in the person of Jesus Christ and trusting that his work was enough for you. Where you're at. When he says, I am the light, when he says, the sun has set you free, for those who abide in me. Church, a son doesn't get kicked out of my house. I'm not going to kick Hudson out because he failed. He's my son. I will love him. I will discipline him. And I will teach him what it looks like to be a godly man. But his position is secure. What Christ has done on your behalf is that he has justified you, which means that he has made you legally right. He has sanctified you, which means he has not only set you apart as holy, but relationally, he has also made you right. And he has forgiven you, not partially, not 60%, fully. You're forgiven. And we get to walk in that truth. We get to walk in the freedom and the security of God's grace that I am in him and i get to walk in that that life and that hope <sighs> sorry i had to compose myself someone teased me a little bit about crying this morning because i get excited because there's no better news Church, as we engage here in Williams, as we engage in the neighborhood across the street, as we engage in our life groups, as we engage with people that we have at work or anything, family members. Remember, it's not about how well you're doing things. It's about how well he did something on your behalf. And sometimes, yes, it feels awkward to talk about it or it feels like pulling people, pulling teeth. Like the conversations are very awkward, right? When you're talking to an unbeliever or sometimes you're in a dispute over who knows what and talking to a family member and showing that that freedom and hope and life that comes in the person of Jesus Christ seems to be lost or hard to get back to there. But talk about it. There's nothing better. There's nothing more life-changing. There's nothing more life-giving. Church, I hope that, like I said, it was a very quick synopsis. There's a lot there. But study his word and allow his truth to be revealed to you, what he's done, who he is, and how that looks like to walk it out. Our God is a beautiful, matchless, wonderful, perfectly sovereign God. So walk in that manner. He's done it all for us. Now we get to just live our lives in a manner that is worthy of him because he deserves it. Just like my wife deserves for me to love her the best I can. I'm going to go ahead and wrap up. Thank you for listening today, and I hope that it is encouraging to you all. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we come before you just thanking you for who you are. Lord, uh, <laughs> reading this passage and all the things you've taught me, and I, I feel like I did it in injustice this morning. And yet, Lord, I, I'm so overwhelmed with who you are. I, I pray that you would just tune our hearts to to hear the truth that I spoke this morning and that your name would be glorified through it. I thank you for your word. I thank you for revealing who you are, not only to me, but to your body. Lord, I pray that as we walk through life that the thing would be different is that we have hope because we have someone who's done the work for us, that we can walk in that freedom, walk in that truth. Lord, thank you for inviting us into your family. Thank you for your kindness, for your love, for your grace. Lord, I pray that as we walk through the weeks, Lord, that you and your name would just be lifted high, that we would bring glory to your name and that we would advance your kingdom. Again, thank you for this morning. I I pray that your word would penetrate our hearts and our minds. We love you. We thank you. And we trust you, Your name, amen.